On the show today, I'm joined by Australian director Kimball Randall. He's the director of Guardians of the Tomb, which had the largest opening in China for any Australian film ever. He's also the director of the movie Bait and has been the second unit director on films such as iRobot and The Matrix. We talk directing and more, so stay tuned for a very exciting episode of Benjamin Man McKay's Talk To Me. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Benjamin Man McKay's Talk To Me. I'm your host, Benjamin, and joining me on the show is Kimball Randell. He's an Australian director, he's got some great films under his belt, and we're here today to talk about his new film, Guardians of the Tomb, which came out early in February and had the largest release ever for an Australian film in China. It's got stars like uh, Kelsey Grammer and Shane Jacobson. Uh, it's a very exciting film, and he's here to tell you all about that, as well as some of his past work. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my chat with Kimball. Welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, that's, that's my pleasure. Great to be on it. It's going well, your show. It's got a lot of listeners now, hasn't it? It has. Uh, we're, we're very thankful. Five, five million, uh, 5.3 million on average, so uh, it is, uh, it's been hugely successful, which is great. Oh, brilliant. Congratulations. Thank you. And congratulations on your new film, which opened in China a couple of weeks ago and is now opening Australia-wide. So what inspired you to become a director? Um, I started when I was, well, yeah, when I was 12, I um, started making little films, which is a bit of a cliche, because you notice a lot of people that are directing seem to start around about 12 for some reason. But yeah, I did too, and um, in those days it was Super 8 cameras. My dad, who had a, a pub, um, got me a, a Super 8 camera, which he said fell off the back of a truck, and I said, you know, is it broken? He said, no, no, it's not broken, but, uh, you know, just go and use it. And he said, you, you should, when you go up, you should spend more time in the public bar and you'll understand what fall off the back of the truck means. Um, and my mum took me to guitar lessons at the same time, so I've always had music and film um, going. And then, you know, when I later on started to... Um, I became film editor... You know, I wanted to um, become a director and I thought editing was a great way to get into that. I studied acting and, and also music played a part. So I was in a couple of bands and then started to do music videos and that led into commercials and features. So it's sort, of sort of a classic path into, um, into direct, directing. And, you know, like through, through all, those, all those avenues, it was a really great way to build up a lot of experience. And because you have got such a, a strong understanding of all the different aspects that go into making a film, do you think that makes you a better director? I don't know, actually. I don't know if that does make you a better director. Um, I think it's great to have all. It's great to have the understanding. I mean, the technical knowledge and the how things are done. But in the end, I guess it comes down to. I mean, and technically, you can. You know, it does make you a better director in the essence of how you handle. You know. The, the making of a film, you know, from pre-production and shooting and editing and that. But in essence, if you have a great idea and it's a great script and, you know, these days it's a lot easier to, to make films, whether it's even a cheap one, you know, shot on an iPhone or whatever. I mean, if it comes down to the story and how you handle it. So, you know, if, you, if you're just starting out and you're directing, there's no reason that you can't, can't make a great film and I guess therefore you're, you're a good director, you know. So it's not, there's no great... But, I mean, if you work as a professional, you know, director and that's your job and more experience, I, I guess, is, is, you know, going to help you. Of course. And do you think it's important for young directors to have some kind of formal training? 
Not necessarily. I don't know if film schools are, are going to... Um, I mean, the film school in Sydney is, is, is a good one. Um, there are a lot of little film schools around, I don't know. But, I mean, the best way, I think, is um, to uh, is on the job sort of training. That's the way, that's how I did it. As I say, I started as a film editor. I was an apprentice, uh, and I worked my way through that. I didn't have any formal film training. I just learned on the, you know, on the set and on the job. But, you know, film school is good. You know, I, I don't think you need any f- specific, you know, formal training. I think it's one of those jobs you have to you have to do it. A lot of people ask me, you know, how do I become a director? I say, well, what have you, you know, what have you done? Have you directed anything? Show me a film. And they go, and they say, no, well, if you haven't made a film, then, you know, go out and make a film. That's, that's the best way. Make, go and make stuff, making stuff. And as a, as a film director... Do you think the introduction uh, of Netflix and Stan and other streaming platforms has made your job easier to get movies to larger groups of people, or is it taking people out of the cinema? I think people are still going to the cinema. I think the cinemas, um, uh, you know, in China where our film came out, is the fastest growing. You know, I think they're building a cinema a day. It's it's, fast, it's it's now the biggest box office in the world, and there's you know, new cinemas. So that, in terms of that. You know, that the audiences there are growing. More people are going. Um, in other areas where cinemas, um, um, you know, it's probably... If, if you drive down Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles and look at all the billboards, most of them aren't studio movies anymore. They're, it's all Netflix or Amazon or, or you know, the you know the streaming mm. services. So that definitely has, ta- has taken over. Um, and is now, now dominant, is, you know, quite dominant. But... People are still going to movies. My theory is that you know I think independent movies will will, will sort of come back in a way. I think all the you know the action. You know I like I love action movies, of course, but um all the superhero movies. There's always an audience for that, but I think you know there, there will be an audience for independent movies and you know great little movies. And also people want to go and sit in the cinema. It's just that they're trying to make the cinema experience more. Interesting, I guess you can have a meal and you can do other stuff. But you know, if, if the ticket prices stayed okay, then people will still go. You know, I don't think people like the experience. So I do. Sitting in the cinema, don't you? Do you like? That? I, I love it. I, I will always go to the cinema above, uh, yeah, watching you're, something. You're, yeah, well, sorry to interrupt, but so yeah, so he. I mean, your you and your you know, your your generation, uh, if you uh, are still going to go, sure, I guess. Yeah, well, fingers crossed. Anyway, now. I do want to talk about uh, China becoming the, the largest market for films. Does that mean you start specifically catering to that market? I mean, the film was released there first before Australia, even though it's an Australian film. Yeah, no, we did cater for that market. It was, it was a story was was written specifically for the market. Um, it's aimed at teenage girls in China. That's the target audience, um, which is a very large audience over there. And... Um, Following the success of Bait in China, we went to number one over there. We had a lot of interest to make another film, and there were there were investors that were interested in um, you, know, you know putting most of money up for another film. So that that kept the ball rolling for us. Yeah, so in essence, it was it was shot in Queensland, and also shot in China. We shot in the Gobi Desert, and we shot in the studios up in Queensland. So yeah, we shot it's an you know, Australian-made movie, but it was made for that market. We targeted the Chinese market, and it, that's where it was mainly released. And it's even when they're screening in Australia, it's, 
you know, there's uh, the company distributing here are, uh, are also trying to encourage um, the audience, the Chinese audiences here to come up, so, which mm. is like reverse engineering, I guess. Um, you know, they're specifically marketing towards the Chinese audiences in Australia. Mm. And do you think it's still as difficult as it once was to sell an Australian movie to Australians? Um, it, look, I just think it depends on the film. If, it, if it's a good film and, you know, um, uh, people want to come and see it, I think, per se, if you were saying, oh, it's an Australian movie, come and see it, uh, that's never going to work, it's never going to work. Um, but if it's, um, you know, it's a good story and, you know, uh, and... And it connects, you know, I, I'm trying to think of some examples. Like, for example, like a film like Red Dog, which did really well here, um, was marketed, you know, they market that specifically to the audiences here. It's a great, you know, Australian story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they went out and promoted the market with the actual, took the dog out on the road and so on and so on. And they actually was very successful uh, because it connected. You know, there's a story, you know, there's a story. And there's dog lovers liked it and so on and so forth. I mean, if you've got to find a... a, a an angle for the film to market it anyway. So, um, the fact, per se, or well, the fact that it's just Australian doesn't mean people will go and see it. It's a great Australian, you know, we have a history of making amazing films, like Mad Max. Mm. That when they came out here, you know, that was huge. And that, you know, that was huge worldwide as well. I mean, if it's a good film, people will be interested in seeing it. Yeah. And speaking of, of marketable angles, you've assembled an incredible cast. How did you go about getting Kelsey Grammer and Kellen Lutz and, and Shane Jacobson to come on board? Um, Kellen Lutz, I, I, I've met when we were um, promoting Bait in China, and uh, so I spoke to him about it, and uh, he, he knew about the story, and so we kept in touch, and then so, and he was he, he was interested all along. So once once we got the you know, final script, he came on board. Um, leaving being the Chinese star um, was contacted through the Chinese producers and you know she was in, in, interested in it and I had a meeting with her over in, um, in Beijing with her and her management and so on so and yeah so she, she came on board she had, she had been to Australia before and liked it and you know she really liked the idea she wanted to do more action so then once we had leaving being and um, and then uh, Kelsey was was approached just you know in through the American company, and he he was really keen to do it too. He's a great actor. He's done a, such a wide range of stuff. You know, in fact, when he finished our film, he went straight onto a Broadway production virtually the next day. Um, but, he, but he was incredible. Um, we all are big fans of Kelsey through you know the Cheers and the various shows he's been in. And Shane Jacobson was a big fan of Kelsey Grammer, so. Um, when you know he, he heard about it, he read it, you know he read it. Uh, in fact, he told me he said his wife read the script. And said, oh, Shane, you, you really have to do this film, and it was fun. Shane was amazing. Added, you know, obviously added the, a, a lot of uh, the comedy to the to the story as well. Mm-hmm. Even though he, you know he's a great serious actor, dramatic actor, but he um, he, he was fun. So I think one thing really led to another, which is pretty much the way it does with casting. Once you have you know, someone, you know, comes on board that, you know, the other actors, you know, gets their attention and they like the script, they've got to like the script. Absolutely. And when you've got that many famous actors, is there a lot of ego that comes with that or are they fairly willing to take direction? Um, sometimes there is. I mean, having worked on a lot of films, it's, sometimes there is. I, I, I noticed, in a strange way, um, the bigger the star, generally the less you get of that. 
um, generally they you know they have uh, they're uh, ultra professional and they just want to kind of come on and um, do the job. That's there are notable exceptions to all that, but generally that generally you find that ego coming into it. And strange enough, with some Australian actors who um, get placed on, say, if it's a big American film. Um, they find, you know, they're suddenly in what they consider the big league and can, their ego can be a little bit unmanageable. Um, but that doesn't take long to sort out. It's like people on the way up, as it were. Um, but in our film, it, I didn't notice, it, it was, there wasn't any of that, really, surprisingly. I mean, we had, um, you know, Kelsey, of course, he was sort of the backbone to it in a way. He kept, you know, he was such a great guy and funny and everyone wanted to talk to him. I mean, in fact, when, we, when I met him, he um, went to this bar in... Uh, uh, Surface Paradise, and we were all sitting there. When I, the first time we had a, we met him, he had just arrived, and we were all sitting at the bar having martinis. And um, I thought I was in an episode of Cheers. Well, is it, when you're filming any film, especially one that you've you know co-written and you, you're directing, how many sort of pinch yourself moments are there on set as you watch your you know vision come to life? Uh, you know that that happens a lot with me because um, I'm basically a fan and. Um, you know, when I started work on, uh, you know, the, the Hollywood films, you know, I was directing Second Unit, which is means you, you're, um, you know, there's generally two units on those big films. There's the main units, you know, doing, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of the stuff with the actors. And the Second Unit's doing a lot of stuff with the actors plus action and, you know, visual effects and you know, all that stuff, which I love doing, and it's fun. So, but the first time I walked onto The Matrix set, uh, that just blew my mind. It was just such a, on a, such a large scale. I was in Sydney at Fox Studios. I'd never seen anything like that, that, that scale of filmmaking. And, you know, having grown up watching all these, you know, films, Hollywood movies and action movies, and suddenly being in the middle of that and being able to work on it was, in, was incredible. And, you know, I never stopped, really. I just, I, you know, I just love being on a film set. I love the whole, um, the whole, way, the whole way it works and, um, you know, you just, you know, watching all the people do their various jobs. And so, you know, look, I have those moments a lot, but, you know, just very lucky to be, be to be doing it. So, um, uh, yeah, a lot of pinch me moments. Hmm. It certainly sounds like it. And something I'm always curious about, your last film uh, was shot in 3D, I believe. Where do you think 3D now sort of sits? I mean, it's not used nearly as much as it was, you know, five years ago. So we shot it. It originated in 3D, which was interesting to do. They were, we, had, you know, we just got in at the moment when they were it was popular again, and so it was interesting to actually shoot it in 3D. Um, and this film was co- was converted to 3D, so it went out in China in 3D. There is a it's a 3D version. It was actually made for 3D this film, um, but I think it's been released in 2D here. And um, uh, you know, it's, and you know, it depends on the territory because. I, I think that uh, maybe it was the cost of the, the people going to see them in the cinemas. I don't know why I actually stopped it. It tends to go through cycles, 3D. But it looks great in 3D. You know, this film, I saw it in, you know, in China, it was all 3D. Mm. And I mean, in China, it opened on around 6,000 screens, which is the largest opening for any Australian film. How did that eventuate for you? Um, it eventuated through... Um, well, I guess because there are so many screens there, and, um, and most of the films when they're, when they're opening wide do start on a lot of screens because there's, there's lots of them. So um, 
it, it cut that eventuated through the the company, the co-production co company that um, organised the you know the, the promotion and distribution of the film over there, and the company that put it out, China Film Group, the other biggest film group over there. And when they when they release the films, they do they do go wide, you know. Mm. You know, it's a, you know, huge, you know, big population, and it's a big country, and they've got a lot of screens, so they tend to spread it out, and you know. By well, six thousand sounds a lot. I guess by the time it spreads out across China, maybe it's probably a, you know, a, 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 I wouldn't say it's a normal release, but it's a, you know, it's a good, a good healthy release for a film. Um, but it was organised through the, you know, our co-production partners. Well, it's certainly an impressive feat for an Australian film. Congratulations. You know, thanks. The fact that you know it went to, you know, it's in the top ten, it went to the top ten in China, and you know, did, did really well for us over there. So, um, yeah, we're, we're all happy and. Um, Sort of, you know, it was great to sit in the, in the, you know, I went over there. We did had the premiere and then we had the screenings. And I was actually in the in the audience with the, with the target audience and you know, young Chinese and Chinese uh, men and women and um, and they just reacted, you know, to the points that we, you know, we thought, you know, we we're making a film. Oh, I wonder what they'll think of that. How will that work? And blah blah blah. But then just sitting in the middle, it was really great, great fun. I really loved, I really loved it. That's fantastic. And as a musician, you also worked on some of the music for this film, as you did with your last one. Tell me about the, the musical choices you made. Um, yeah, so, I, as I, I said at the beginning, like my passions are music and film, and when they can come together, to me that's the perfect world. And music, um, uh, I, you know, I work very closely with the composers, and... Um, uh, that, that's always great. So in this one, we had a Chinese composer, Rock Chen. His name is. Does a lot of China, you know, Asian films and Hong Kong and China. He was great. And um, and being able to, being able to work with the composers, because obviously uh, music is a big part of the you know film, and it, it's sometimes overlooked and undervalued. Uh, whereas I try not to do that. I try to you know give a lot of thought and to work with the composers earlier on. But we also um, with my, uh, you know, partner Jason Fernandez, he and I work together on bass, and he he, um, he works on the. He's a composer, and a, and also he helped, you know, uh, putting the tracks together. You know, so we when we were doing the editing and the editing, we decided to do you know, on on bass. We did you know one track, Mac the Knife, and that was great fun. So on this, we did two. So we did a cover version of Itty Bitty Spider, like a punked up version. And um, and another one called Punch Drunk, which is in there, so it's an original song. So we got a couple of songs on the soundtrack, but um, yeah, they, they were fun. We just um, we just get in the studio and make a, make a racket and have a bit of fun. And uh, yeah, if you see the movie, the Itchy Bitchy Spiders over the end credits. Mm. Well, it's certainly something to look out for. So now this film's out. It's out in Australia. It's out. It's out in China. What's next for you? Are you looking at another film or a, or a series or what's coming up? Generally, you have to have a lot of things, you know, you have a lot of things um, on the on the go to, if you're, you know, a film, filmmaker or, I guess, you're working that in this field, TV or film or, or theatre, you've got to you do lots of stuff because it takes a long time for, for them to, um, you know, some, some things happen quickly, but that's very rare. It can take years for a project. So I've got a number of things on the boil, but the, the, the one that's... Um, looking good or you know they're close to getting the final fi the financing for is a science fiction film called The Rum 
Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, set, it's set in the, we think in the northern parts of New South Wales. Um, it's a really cool story based on an American short story mm. by Arthur Porges. It's um, you know, a group of people being chased by this alien. It's a monster movie, I guess. That sounds exciting. And for our yeah. listeners who'd like to sort of stay up to date with you and see, you know, hopefully that film come to fruition, where can they find you online? Um, well, uh, you can find me on Facebook. I've got a pay, you know, page on that. I've got Twitter, you know, Twitter and mm-hmm. um, Instagram, I guess, are the things I tend to, tend to do. But, yeah, on Facebook, and, you know, if you want to hook up there, I've got a page there, and, um, you know, I was looking for, you know, if people were interested in um, I get, quite, you know, comments sometimes through LinkedIn, but, but those, those three are generally the ones that I... Brilliant. Well, we'll put a link to all your uh, social media accounts in the, in the show notes of the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure talking with you. That's great, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. That was my chat with Kimball. Don't forget to check out his movie, Guardians of the Tomb, in cinemas around the world, or on DVD later in the year. As always, thanks to our incredible supporters, Palace Nova Cinemas and Mad Zombie Collectibles. Their details are on the website, and while you're there... Don't forget you to check out my movie reviews of all the latest releases, and you can grab a copy of The Phoenix Files Man in the Shadows as well. Phoenix Files Man in the Shadows is our original audio drama based on the best-selling series of Australian novels. It stars Paul McGann, BAFTA nominee for, for he's in Doctor Who, he's in With Nail and I, and John Jarrett from Wolf Creek. It's got a fantastic cast, original script. Definitely check that out. And also, don't forget that this year I'm going to be a guest at Supernova Pop Culture and Gaming Expo. So you can see me in Brisbane and Melbourne. That's coming up very soon. That's in April. Other guests include Tom Welling from Smallville, Elizabeth Henstridge from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Peter Capaldi from Doctor Who, John Barrowman from Torchwood. There's some of the cast of The 100. There's someone from Walking Dead. It's going to be a fantastic event. I can't wait to be there. So get your tickets for that. And also, they've just announced for Sydney and Perth later in the year, so that's in June, uh, Stephen Amell who plays Arrow in the hit CW series Arrow, will be attending. So they've got a great lineup, and there's so many more exciting announcements to come across the year, and I can't wait to be at all those events. So get your tickets for Supernova now. Well, I've been your host, Benjamin May McKay. We'll be back in March for some more exciting interviews. Until then, bye for now. <laughs>